We are going to look at a lot of scriptures this morning. I know it's, it's sometimes maybe difficult to, to follow along when there's a lot of scriptures, but I feel like that the scriptures are why we are here. And so we, especially I think with, a, with, a, with a, the story of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross by giving his life as a ransom for many, this is, this is the best story that has ever been written. And I say story there, this is not a story in the sense that it is made up, but it is a true story. And, you know, we revisit this story every year at Easter, and as well we should, I believe, as Christians. We celebrate lots of holidays that we remember, and, and some of those holidays are fun, and some of those holidays I, I really, uh, really think are significant, uh, in particular when it comes to remembering our, our veterans, those who have given their life for, for, for the freedoms that we have in this country. I think that those types of, of holidays and events that we celebrate are great things for us to celebrate. But there is really only one thing that the Bible calls us to celebrate as Christians, and that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That is what we are called to celebrate and that is what we are called to remember. And we may go to church services on Easter, especially if you're, if you're you know, older. You may say, man, I've, I've heard these messages a lot. I've heard this story 50 times over. But it's a story that we need to hear 50 times over, 100 times over. Because this is our story. This is Christianity. This is why we are here. Uh, Christianity is not just about making us feel better and giving us some encouraging words to get through our life while it does that, while the Bible is full of those things. Christianity is about Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And this is what it all boils down to. These events, this story, this part of history is what, what everything in our, in our world and our universe hinges on. It was all built on this event that was going to take place with Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we'll go through that today and look at some of the scriptures and talk about what Jesus did. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. I pray that you give me boldness and confidence to preach and teach your word, dear Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would speak through me when I open my mouth, God, but that you receive the glory. God, that, that, that you do the work in this place, that your Holy Spirit do the work through your words. And God, I pray that you would take away any nerves or worries or, or pride that, that may be in my mind or in my life or in my heart, dear Lord, and that you would take those things and that you would do away with them. And God, that you would be at the forefront this morning, that the words that come from my mouth come from you, and that you give me the, the ability to, to speak the words that you want those listening today to hear. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we will spend the bulk of the passages we will look at today will come from, from Matthew 26. If you want to put a finger there, you can. And as always, I'll be glad to give you a printout of these passages or, or tell you what they were. Uh, this is such a great story, and I wish that, that we could just really spend a couple of hours here today uh, to do that. And maybe there will be a time and a place for that. 
But, but to, to kind of get an overview of the whole story and what it means and what it looks like, we're going to hit some of the key points of, of Jesus' last few hours here on earth. Matthew 26, we'll spend a lot of time there, but our story this morning will start in John 13, if you want to flip there. Jesus had been pouring into his disciples for three years. He had been loving them. He had been preparing them. And he had even point blank told them what was going to take place. That he would be crucified. That he would, that he would give his life. And that three days later he would rise. It was clear. It was plain. He had told them that. And they still didn't quite get it. They still didn't quite understand and as this last week was, was winding down of Jesus' life and, and he entered into these last few hours, that must have been a, a difficult time for him because one of the ones that Jesus had poured into so much time was Judas along with the other 11. He, he, had, he had poured into Judas and Judas was his disciple, but he was his friend. And as Jesus was was eating a meal with his disciples not long before he would be betrayed. We see in John chapter 13, verse 27. In John chapter 13, verse 27, everything that God had put into motion began to, to play out the story, that what was going to take place with Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection for the redemption of, of, of all mankind, it was all fisting to, to, to take place. It was about to begin here in John chapter 13, verse 27. And it says that after Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Therefore, Jesus told him, what you are doing, do quickly. Jesus knew the time had come. The hour had come. And it was one that was close to him who was about to betray him. I wonder what was going through Judas's mind. Judas knew what was about to take place. I wonder what he was thinking when Jesus told him those words. I wonder if his, if his heart sank. I, I wonder if his heart began to pound in his chest. Jesus knew what was about to take place. And Jesus was ready for what was about to happen to him. And he told his very betrayer, whatever you do, do it quickly. And Peter began to tell the, or excuse me, Jesus began to tell the disciples, he said, look, it won't be long from now that you will all abandon me. You will all flee from me. Can you imagine how difficult that must have been for Jesus knowing that these, these were his closest friends? And in Jesus' greatest hour, he says, look, I know what's going to happen. And you guys are going to, you guys are going to split. You're going to run from me. You're not, you're not going to want to be around me with what's taking place. And, and Peter said in Matthew 26, in Matthew 26, verse 35, Peter said, even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. That's, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? Because we probably can relate to that. There are probably times that we have felt so confident in something we're going through 
or we have felt so confident in the Lord and we have said, God, I will stand by you. I will do what you call me to do. God, I will be your faithful servant and I will not run away in times of trouble. And we say that with, with, with the firmest uh, foundation and strength that we can muster up. We are going to stand firm on the Lord. And the disciples were ready to. Peter was ready to. Peter said, Jesus, I'll die for you. And all the disciples were in agreement. But old things would change quickly when the moment approached. It wasn't long after that in Matthew 26, 38, that Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And oh, he began to pray. The sorrow and the pain and the agony, the anguish that Jesus was feeling in his soul in Matthew 26, 38, then he said to them, that is, those disciples who were with him, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. We can't even begin to imagine, I don't believe, what Jesus was experiencing there. He didn't just have sorrow for himself. Jesus had the weight of the world on his shoulders. All of humanity... Every person who has ever lived and who would ever live and take a breath on this planet, Jesus had their sins on his shoulders in this moment. Now, that's a lot of burden. Now, I want you to think about the burden that you have, the stresses that you have. You probably got a lot. We probably all do. Life is tough, right? It doesn't matter what you do. doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old. Life is full of of struggles, very hard struggles, things that cause us anguish and pain and suffering. And we stress over these and we grieve over these and we feel the pain and the weight of these things in our life. And that's just our struggles. And Jesus took your struggles and my struggles and everybody else's struggles and he felt the weight of that. He knew what was coming. He knew that in taking those struggles, it would take his very life. And he prayed in the garden. He prayed, Father, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me, God, let it happen. But not my will, but yours. And his sweat became like drops of blood. That's a real thing, by the way. It's a real medical condition. Hematidrosis is what that's called. It, it occurs very rarely, but it does occur when people are in extreme anguish, when people were, are in intense pain, when people are, 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 are just suffering greatly. We can begin to sweat drops of blood. So we can imagine what Jesus was going through for this physical, this physical event to occur, for, for this to take place as Jesus began to cry out to God and blood began to, to pop from the pores on his body as he began to sweat blood. Now you and I, we've probably all been pretty stressed, 
to our breaking point, I would say. Probably everybody has, has experienced that type of stress. But I can tell you I've never sweat drops of blood. Chances are you probably haven't either. But here was our Lord and Savior bearing the pain and the burden of our sin as he was crying out to God for help and sweating drops of blood just moments before his close friend would betray him. Matthew 26, just a few verses down in verse 47. Matthew 26, 47. Jesus is there praying, talking with the disciples. And in Matthew 26, 47, it says, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priest and the elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one. Arrest him. So he went right up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, Why have you come? Then they came up, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. Of all the things that Jesus could have said to Judas, that's pretty amazing. The first word he says is friend. Now, if you knew somebody was about to betray you and it was going to lead to the greatest suffering probably that's ever been, I don't know that I would call him friend. I don't know what I would call him. I would probably just look at him with hate and anger and say, how could you? But not Jesus. Here come Judas. And Jesus said, friend, what have you come for? And just like that, the plan was unfolding. Just the way that God had intended. Just the way that Jesus knew that it would. And in that moment, he was betrayed. I, I wonder, I think about Psalm 55. I wonder if maybe that's a, a helpful psalm for us to consider. David was talking about his enemies who were coming against him. And David said, if it was an enemy who was coming against me, I could bear it. But David said, it's you. It's my companion. It's my friend that is betraying me. I wonder if maybe that verse would summarize what Jesus was feeling in that moment. It wasn't one of those enemies that hated him so greatly that were coming against him. It was one that he loved. It was one that he had taken care of. It was one that he had poured his life into. It was indeed his friend. And in that moment, he betrayed him. Jesus was bound and led to a trial, if we can call it that. Although the verdict had already been determined, Jesus was guilty in the eyes of those religious leaders who were accusing him. And Jesus was led away to this trial. 
And the people hated him. At least some of the people, not all the people. And they were looking for any reason whatsoever to take it, put him to death. They did not care if they had to make it up. Their mind was determined. He was guilty. They hated him. They were jealous of him. And they were going to get rid of him. And in Luke chapter 23, if you want to flip there, Luke chapter 23, we see the crowd's response as Jesus is condemned guilty before those who should have been his followers, those very children of God, the Jewish people, God's own people, should have been praising Jesus. And instead, they could not wait to kill him. And Jesus went before Pontius Pilate. Pilate tried to change the mind of the people unsuccessfully because their mind was made up. In Luke 23, verse 23, we see the response of the people. It says, But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And their voices won out. Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Oh, I'm sure it was loud as the people gathered and as they began to yell those words out, boy, I wonder the pain that Jesus had felt. I wonder how much it must have pained him to look at those that he had come to save, that he had come to give everything for. I can only imagine that it must have been a painful moment for Jesus. It would be a painful moment for you and I. It would be extremely painful if we were looking out at those we love the most and they were ready to kill us. And the crowds cried out with their loud voice. And their voice won. Isn't it crazy how that often happens? You know, the, the loudest voices almost always went out. And the loudest voices are often not the right voices. But, but a loud lie will often drown out a, a quiet truth. Jesus didn't come into this world yelling and screaming. Isaiah 42, 1 and 2 says about the coming Messiah. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. And Jesus came and fulfilled that promise. He fulfilled that passage. Jesus never caused a scene for the most part. He's pretty quiet in his teachings. He was very humble. He was very gentle. And his quiet voice of truth was drowned out by a chaotic crowd yelling for his crucifixion, yelling for his death. Sometimes 
the voices that we hear the loudest are those of our enemies. The voices that we hear the loudest are those that attempt to destroy us. And those voices, they ring in our ears and they ring in our minds. Well, our enemy, the devil, he speaks loudly into our minds, does he not? He speaks loudly. He says, you're not good enough. Give in to that sin, that pleasure. You deserve it. Nobody cares about you. You're a failure. Nobody loves you. Those voices are loud in our mind. Boy, the enemy's voice is loud. But not the voice of God. The voice of God is a still, small voice that says, I love you. You are mine. And sometimes we miss the still, small voice of God because the voice of our enemies are so loud. And Jesus had come and he had spoken to these people in a still, small, quiet voice. But yet his voice was overshadowed. All the truth that he had brought was drowned out by a lie as the crowd yelled, Crucify him! Crucify him! And in Matthew 27, 25, all the people said, his blood be on us and on our children. It's kind of amazing that they would say that, not really realize how what they were saying was exactly what would happen. That the very blood that they were ready to shed of Jesus Christ was the very blood that would forgive them of their sins. Isn't it something? His blood be on us and our children. I can only hope that some of the people who were yelling that out yelled it out after His resurrection, but in a different way. I can only hope that some of those who yelled for His crucifixion after His resurrection realized the error of their ways and the truth that He spoke, and they said the same thing. Lord Jesus, Your blood be on us and our children. Because it's only the blood of Jesus that will cover our sins. And the very blood that was shed that day by the very people who were shedding it was the very blood that would give them an opportunity to be forgiven. The crowd won out. The loud voice won out. At least in the moment. It appeared to win out. But in Matthew 27, 30, uh, 28 through 31, Matthew 27, 28 through 31, the real pain was only about to begin. And Jesus had already been betrayed which would have been pain enough. But now the physical pain is really about to get intense. In Matthew 27, 28, 
it says they stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet military robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spit on him, took the reed, and kept hitting him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. Now, what would, what would lead someone to take such abuse, to take such a beating? Why would somebody do that? Would you do that for anybody? Chances are you probably would if you got kids or grandkids. Chances are you would probably suffer as much as you possibly could to keep them from suffering. Even in our humanness, we understand that. Why do we do that? Why would we suffer for our children and for our grandchildren? Because we love them. Because we love them. And that's the only thing, that's the only thing that would allow someone to suffer such punishment is because of love. There is nothing else in this world powerful enough to help us endure that kind of suffering except for love. And that's why Jesus did it. He took all the beating. He took the crown of thorns. He took the nails driven through his hands and through his feet. Some people would say he's insane. Who would take that? He should have just got off. He should have just said, I'm done. I'm going to use my power. I'm going to end this. Enough of this. But Jesus wasn't insane. He was in love. He was in love with you and I. And Jesus had a choice. He had a choice. He could have done whatever he wanted to. Jesus had a choice. His choice was, I can go through this and suffer. Or everyone else in humanity can go through this and suffer. But Jesus said, I'm going to do this so you don't have to. Jesus said, I'm going to take the beating. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to suffer this pain. So you don't have to. And his motivation was clear and plain and simple throughout the scriptures. His motivation was love. His motivation was he wants to be with you. He wants to be with you for all of eternity. And the only way he can be with you for all of eternity was if he paid the price of your sins was if he took the beating that you and I deserve. And Jesus weighed the cost, looked at the beating, he looked at the pain, and he said, the cost is worth it. It's worth it. 
The cost is worth it. I'll take all of this so I can have all of you. I don't get that, I'm going to tell you. Because I'm, I'm not worth dying for. We're pretty rotten sinners. And somehow, Jesus looked at us and said, I see your value. I value you so much that I'm going to give my life for you. Now that's love. There is no other definition of love so far as I can tell. You cannot top that. You cannot top Jesus Christ and Christ crucified on the cross. That's love. In dictionaries, they ought to just take out the definition of love and put a picture of Jesus on the cross. That'd be good stuff. What can you say? You don't have to say words. That says it all. In Mark chapter 15, verse 24, it says, They crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to divide what each would get. So it all came down to this moment. God's plan that was set into place that was necessary from the first sin of Adam and Eve. Everything in Scripture from Genesis to this point was leading to this point. Everything hinged on this point. Would Jesus fulfill his mission or would he not? Well, I want to tell you this morning, Jesus fulfilled his mission. When they crucified him, when they nailed him to the cross, it was only a matter of time until he would draw his last breath. A man who had never sinned, who had only loved, was betrayed by his friend and crucified by the very people that he came to save. And he fulfilled his mission in obedience to God and because he loved you and I. Now that's good stuff. This story is a great tragedy. It's a great tragedy. When you think about everything that occurred in these last few days and hours of Jesus' life. But it was a tragedy that must take place. It was a tragedy that had to occur because had that tragedy not occurred, we would be hopeless today. I looked up tragedy in the thesaurus and I was thinking, what's, what's the opposite of tragedy? What word would be the opposite of tragedy? 
And so there in the thesaurus was a list of antonyms. I didn't know what that word meant until I looked it up. It's things that are the opposite. Jesus' death was a great tragedy. But you know what the opposite of a tragedy is? Let me read you the words that the thesaurus says are the opposite of tragedy. Blessing, favor, benefit, advantage, good fortune, gain, happiness, health, joy, and victory. Do those words not describe what Jesus has done for us. His death was to our advantage. His death was to bring us joy. His death was to bring us victory. It was a great tragedy that resulted in a great victory over our sin and over death. But it's not the greatest tragedy, I don't believe. I think the greatest tragedy is if you don't accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. I think that is the greater tragedy. That you don't realize that He loved you. That you don't realize that He cares for you. That you don't realize that He wants to give you peace and comfort. That you don't realize that his still small voice is more powerful than the voice of the devil who roars like a lion to bring fear into you. But we must hear Jesus' still small voice. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Greater love has no man than this, than one would give his life for his brothers. Don't allow the loud voice of our enemy, the devil, or our worldly enemies to defeat us. Even though the voice of the lie may be louder, we cannot listen to it just because it's loud. We must listen to the voice of truth. And that is Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And what a great tragedy it is if you do not seek him and find life in him. I hope you'll do it today if you hadn't. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today and we thank you for these words. We thank you for Jesus for his life, for his death, for his resurrection, for the victory that he has given us, God. And God, what a, what a tough story this is to read and see what Jesus went through on our behalf. God, we thank you because we do not deserve it. But we thank you all the more for it because of that. God, I pray that if there is one that is listening to this today, God, that they would not reject Jesus Christ. That they would not go their whole life without accepting the blood that was shed on their behalf. 
God, I pray that if there are any listening today, that they would say, oh, his blood be on us. His blood be on me, dear Lord. Because, God, we are only forgiven because his life was given for us. And, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your good words. And I pray that we would find joy and strength and comfort in you. That we would give you all the glory today, dear Lord. All the glory goes to Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.